You're now under pressure. Under Pressure is a brief recurring podcast for busy clinicians, investigators, and trainees devoted to state-of-the-art prevention and control of blood pressure. We provide quick, lively, and accurate updates and reviews on important issues in hypertension diagnosis, management, and prognosis from our multidisciplinary team of experts. Our hosts this week are Jennifer Cluett, Clinical Director of the Beth Israel Deaconess Hypertension Center at Healthcare Associates and a Certified Hypertension Specialist, and Tracy King, Internal Medicine Resident at BIDMC. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. We have another terrific episode focused on a legacy trial in hypertension, this episode dealing with the ACCORD trial, which was one of the largest and definitely most complicated trials of its kind. So let's just dive right in, Tracy. What exactly was the ACCORD trial? Okay, so like you said, the CORE trial was large and complicated multicenter study of over 10,000 people that looked at people with type 2 diabetes at advanced risks for cardiovascular disease due to some risk factor being age, previous cardiovascular event, or presence of other significant risk factors, and asked the question, is aggressive A1C targeting or standard better for these patients? To do this, they divided participants into groups that targeted an A1C of less than six or one that was between seven and eight. And then within this trial, about 4,500 patients were also placed into a separate hypertension study, similarly looking at whether intensive or standard control affected the same outcomes. So intensive treatment meant a systolic less than 120, and then standard was less than 140. That's the part of the trial that we're going to primarily be focusing on today. Indeed. And just to make it even more complicated, our listeners may remember that there was also a lipid-lowering separate trial amongst that subset of participants who were not in the blood pressure trial. So it truly was about the most complicated design one could imagine. So let's focus on those blood pressure uh, lowering results. As you noted, Tracy, this was a comparison of essentially systolic blood pressure less than 120 to systolic blood pressure less than 140. How did they do in terms of the effectiveness of the intervention and getting blood pressure where they wanted it? Okay. So yeah, basically in asking whether or not they achieved the blood pressure that they wanted, the short answer is yes. The intensive group average systolic blood pressure was 120, and then in the standard arm was 133. And I think it's important because this trial was conducted now in the early 2000s to think a little bit about the types of therapy that were used to get blood pressure down that low. Um, so can you give us an overview of what drugs were being used and how those drugs differed between the two arms? Yeah. So what is a little interesting is the blood pressure medications that it took to achieve these goals. And having only practiced in the past three years, a lot of the medications that I'm seeing on this list aren't really ones that I'd pull out as first line. So in each group, I have a chart in front of me of the medications that each group of patients was on at the last visit. So for each, the most common blood pressure medication that was used was an ACE or an ARB. And in the intensive group, this was 90% of patients and in standard 80%. As you might expect, next most common would be a diuretic, 80% and 56 respectively. Then what was third most common was a little bit interesting to me, and that was a beta blocker, which is not considered first-line therapy today. But 61% of people in the intensive arm were in a beta, on a beta blocker by the end of this trial, and then 43 in the standard group. After that then was the calcium channel blocker, which is usually my first pullout um, for most patients with hypertension, with 42% of patients on that in the intensive group and 24 in the standard. And then after that, even still, 23% in the intensive group are on an alpha blocker. Again, something that I'm not using every day. And even 7% on reserving. 
which I have never prescribed to this day. So it sounds like it's fair to say that although there was a lot of standard therapy used, as noted, a lot of ACEs and ARBs in this population of people with diabetes, a lot of diuretic use, once we need to get blood pressures down to that 120 range or so, we start pulling in what we would normally consider second, third, and maybe even fourth line agents. Yes, exactly. So let's go back to the um, primary study outcome, Tracy. What was the primary outcome that the investigators targeted? And then what were some of the other ones that they looked at? Okay. So the primary outcome was the occurrence of a new non-fatal or fatal cardiovascular event. So this could be cardiovascular death, MI, stroke. I think that's really helpful, Tracy. Thanks for uh, giving us the background on the study design. Let's look at how the results actually played out. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about the study population that they ended up enrolling. Um, What did those folks look like in terms of their demographics? Yeah. So I feel like in um, terms of obtaining a diverse patient demographic, they actually did a pretty good job. The mean age of participants was 62 years old. And then the percent women was pretty high, actually, at 48%. So almost half of the participants were women. And 61% of participants were white, 24% black, and 7% Hispanic. So a pretty good job, like I said, of obtaining a pretty diverse patient base. Terrific. It's a testament to the hard work of the investigators that they're able to get so diverse of a sample that really does reflect hypertension, uh, particularly amongst people with diabetes in the United States. So Tracy, now let's turn to the outcomes of this uh, trial, which are obviously the most important thing. And I think it's fair to warn our listeners that these were pretty complicated. I'm not positive that it's a single simple message, but let's go ahead and dive in. So um, what did they find? Are we starting out in terms of the primary outcome? Okay. So for the primary outcome, like I mentioned, the occurrence of a new fatal or non-fatal cardiovascular event they actually saw a 12% risk reduction in the intensive group compared to the standard group, but with a p-value of 0.2, so not significant. So I'm sure that was disappointing to the investigators, but does at least suggest the possibility of benefit. Now let's break that out, because as you noted, the primary outcome had three pieces, non-fatal myocardial infarction, non-fatal stroke, and cardiovascular mortality. And those three ended up going in pretty wildly different directions. So what were the results for each of those? Yeah, so um, I can start with stroke because this is the one that actually did reach significance. The relative risk of total stroke was 41% less in the intensive group. The risk of non-fatal stroke being 37% less and each of those with p-values of 0.01 and 0.03 respectively. So in that, we're seeing a pretty significant decrease in events with the intensive arm. Then looking at non-fatal MI, we showed a 13% lower risk in the intensive group, but this time with a p-value of 0.25, so not a significant finding. And then interestingly, the risk of cardiovascular death was 6% higher in the intensive group. Again, with a pretty wide confidence interval of 0.74 to 1.52 and an insignificant p-value of 0.74, but interestingly higher. And overall, when we put these all together to form that primary outcome, we're finding just a negative study. And it's worth, I think, here also highlighting that the relative risk for total mortality ended up looking pretty similar to cardiovascular mortality as well. So again, slightly higher, but not close to significant in the intensive therapy arm. So if you're going to summarize these results for us, Tracy, what would you say? 
So when I'm looking at the specific outcomes of stroke and MI, I'm either seeing a trend towards intensive therapy being helpful. And then for kind of this more vague category of cardiovascular deaths, I see almost a hazard. And then putting those all together, it's kind of really hard to take to what to make out of that kind of makes it equivocal. Well, thank you for that overview, Tracy. It's already clear that this was going to be a complicated trial, both because of the design, but now because of the three components of the endpoint. I'm afraid it's going to get even a little bit worse now. So let's look at the individual results from that comparison of standard versus intensive blood pressure lowering in each of the two arms of the glycemia part of the study. So let's start with the standard glycemic arm first. And that's, just to remind our listeners, a target of 7 to 8% for A1C. How did intensive blood pressure lowering in those folks? So it interestingly actually looks like there was a 24% reduction in the risk of the primary outcome in that group. And that finding was significant. And then to compare that to the intensive arm, and again, that's a A1C less than 6%, um, how did intensive blood pressure lowering look there? In that arm, there was actually a 6% increase in the primary outcome, but that finding was not significant. And the difference between those effects, a 24% benefit with intensive blood pressure lowering for people with standard glucose control, but a 6% increase in those with intensive glucose lowering, that difference between those two was not quite statistically significant? No, that had a p-value of 0.08, so almost, but not quite. But it sounds like nonetheless, it suggests that there might indeed be a benefit of intensive blood pressure lowering amongst people with diabetes receiving what we would consider state-of-the-art glucose control nowadays. So that's a really interesting finding, Tracy. I'll just note to our listeners, and we'll put this in the show notes, that some subsequent reanalyses of Accord even more recently have suggested that that difference, that is to say the benefit of intensive blood pressure lowering for people who get standard control of their diabetes, but not amongst people who get intensive control of their diabetes, seems to be even more clear in reanalyses using slightly different methods, some of which were pioneered by investigators here at Beth Israel. Let's move on now to one of the sub-studies, and there were many in Accord, but perhaps the most important, which was Accord Mind. So Tracy, tell us a little bit about what the Accord Mind substudy looked at. So this is a sub-study that occurred within the subset of centers. And in those centers, they did cognitive function tests throughout the study and also brain MRIs twice to assess the effect of intensive blood pressure lowering on cognition and um, brain matter changes. Terrific. Obviously, with the growing prevalence of Alzheimer's, I've imagine many of our listeners are interested to hear what that showed. Although, as with everything in Accord, I suspect it's complicated. So let's start with the cognition first. Did intensive blood pressure lowering improve cognition? So there were no changes in the cognitive function over time between the groups. Okay. So that's disappointing, but it sounds like overall we can't expect intensive blood pressure lowering to improve cognition, at least as measured here in the short run. Let's talk about those MRI findings. Did intensive blood pressure lowering make anything better or worse on the MRIs? Yeah, so the MRI findings were perhaps even more confusing in that we found in the intensive therapy arm, there was a greater decline in brain volume 
But weirdly enough, another study found that there were less white matter hyperintensities in the intensive blood pressure group compared to the standard therapy. So it's seeming like in the intensive therapy group, we're seeing a greater decline in brain volume, but also less white matter hyperintensities, which are associated with microvessel disease in the brain. And that white matter hyperintensity finding might very well sort of match the stroke finding that you described before, where intensive blood pressure control significantly reduced the incidence of stroke in accord. So to summarize, we really do have a very complicated set of findings in the Accord blood pressure study with some signs of benefit related to intensive lowering on some of the outcomes, but even some signals toward harm for some of the other outcomes and some differences depending on whether or not people were also randomized to intensive or standard glucose lowering. Jen, what do we make of all of this? How do we think about treating people with diabetes and the appropriate target for that population? Thanks, Ken. Uh, Yeah, it's interesting to look at the trajectory of our thought process regarding blood pressure in patients with diabetes and indeed other comorbidities over time. Accord came out in 2010, um, and subsequently the JNC8 hypertension guidelines came out in 2013 that recommended using a target of 140 over 90 for patients with diabetes. That said, in the intervening years, uh, there's been additional data that supports actually a more intensive blood pressure threshold for patients with diabetes, which led the American Heart Association and American Cardiology, the ACC AHA guidelines in 2017 to support threshold of 130 over 80 in all patients, regardless of underlying comorbidities. Thanks very much for that explanation, Jen. It's good to think about the historical context here and how things have changed since Accord. We'll just remind our listeners that the STEP trial, which we've covered previously, also included patients with diabetes in its effort to look at the effects of intensive blood pressure lowering in a Chinese population. And in STEP, the benefit from intensive blood pressure lowering was very similar in the subset of patients with diabetes and the subset of patients without diabetes. In both cases, there was over 20% lower risk of the primary outcome. So it sounds like the evolution in thinking about diabetes as a separate group of people for intensive blood pressure lowering targets largely seems to have uh, played out in exactly the direction that you suggested. To wrap up, let's recap our key hypertension highlights for this episode. Tracy, what are your take-home messages from Accord? So my take-home message is Accord is a very complicated study with findings that are pointing in all sorts of different directions. But whenever I'm looking at this study, I think that basically our our thresholds for treating diabetes now are kind of closer to the standard arm. And in the standard arm is where we did see a significant trend towards improvement in in these outcomes with intensive blood pressure therapy. So my practice is kind of leaning towards favoring the intensive blood pressure therapy in my patients. Thanks, Tracy. Jen? One of the things that I really enjoy about looking at this sort of historical arc of how we our understanding of medicine changes over time is, I think, really illustrated well by looking at this study closely. At the time when this came out, it seemed like it was a null study. But there, if you look closely under the hood, like both of you have done today for us, you can see that there are actually some signals that suggest a benefit to intensive blood pressure lowering. And subsequently, you know, that has borne out with additional studies like STEP and others, as you've mentioned. So I would agree with Tracy. 
Um, I do consider a lower blood pressure target in all of my patients with hypertension, but particularly my diabetic, particularly my patients with diabetes. Thanks, as always, for outstanding editing by Claire Morgan at Notterly, to Ginny Yoon for production assistance on this and other episodes, and a reminder that CME credit is available for this episode through VCU Health. Thanks for listening to another edition of Under Pressure, the brief recurring podcast devoted to state-of-the-art prevention and control of blood pressure. For Jennifer Cluett and Tracy King, I'm Ken Mukamal, and you've been Under Pressure. <laughs>